Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes reporting for duty here on a Thursday. Ah, late morning, early afternoon, delivery of running a little late. Apologies to you guys. Our producer Gabe, my travels, it's all on me. International travels, uh, things happen. But hey, we're here, man. We're going to make it work. We have a fun show ahead. There's some stuff going on in Abu Dhabi where UFC 284, sorry, 294 is going to take place on Saturday. Don't forget about that watch along. We always deliver 2 p.m. Eastern. 11 a.m. Pacific. We'll go over some of that latest news, some of the latest news in the sport itself. And we also have two interviews, Tyson Chartier and Chris Gutierrez. Chartier, of course, is the leader of the New England Cartel, the 2020 Co-Coach of the Year, along with Eric Nixick for the MMA Junkie Awards. And Chris Gutierrez coming off a win at UFC Fight Night 230 this past weekend. We'll be right back to start the show. I think we gotta lead with uh, that stuff going on with Kamaru Usman, right? That seems to yeah. be the big stuff. It's kind of odd, right? The it what is. happened, the interaction, Kamaru's statement. I thought was I, I didn't really like what he said. Me neither. We're all adults here, and but look, if you connect the dots, I kind of get everyone's position. I think from Usman's side, if there's an injury. He's probably trying not to bring it to light. You know, anything that would tell his opponent, eh, you know, this leg is 80% or whatever. And I'm going to have a problem exploding on a takedown or whatever. He's right. He did go out and do a striking uh, workout afterwards. So he didn't just wave to the fans like, you know, when he was coming off the mat with Gagey and that was it and call it a day. No, I mean, he actually went back, hit some mitts. So, look, I get everyone signed to it. But that audio that was picked up, you can clearly hear Justin Gagey say, are you all right? And to me, and I think most of the world, we heard something popped. Mm-hmm. The rest is inaudible. I can't tell. Look like he said something else, like maybe... Let's stop. Something popped, or I don't know. But it looked like he said something. Gagey reacted. Gagey put out a statement. He said he thought he hit his head. He was just asking if he's all right. Everyone did Everyone did what they would normally do. If it was you and I, goes, I think we would have done the same. If I was Usman and you were Gagey or vice versa, I get it. I get Ali's stance. Maybe he's a little too aggressive, but that's Ali. Hey, everyone, stop tripping. Stop putting stuff out. But, hey, now it's our turn to talk, and this is our opinion, and that's how I saw it. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of shocked that that was even picked up, really, because um, I didn't really see him do anything that made me go, oh, wait a minute, is he okay? I didn't really see that. Um, but once you do focus on the audio, that's kind of what it sounded like he said. And I don't think that really the fact that he's able to stand up and do uh, hit mitts proves anything. I mean, fighters have been able to to talk, right? Or, I mean, fighters have been able to fight with injuries before in the past. So I don't torn really ACLs. Know. 
Yeah, I don't know that that's really like a statement to uh, fire back at everybody and say, yes, see, you dummy. Like, that doesn't really make too much sense. I could see, if anything, really, like the way he answered the, the question, his frustration level, uh, man, that almost makes me believe it more. Possibly. Yeah, that would be a decent read to have. And I'll tell you what, him going so over the top, guess what you're going to do? You are going to pretty much put out more investigators into this than need to be out there. There's going to be a lot of there's a lot of different types of journalists out there that are going to kind of try and lift every stone and and see and ask and hit their contacts up. Or you're, you're only making it worse, I think, by pushing back so strong. You make a statement and that's it. Um, but you know, this sport's just a little bit different. I think people just take things a little bit more personal. And and I would also say that younger generation fighters take things a little bit more at heart. Um, <laughs> Dad'll tell you fighters would put rub some dirt on it and let's go, you know. But no, I mean over here it's it's a whole different world, big business. I get it. Um, but yeah, I I I I didn't think he handled it right. I thought he should have just said, "I'm good. I was able to do my striking, and that's it." But don't make everyone else feel like. They are the way they are because you're only causing more problems for yourself. There's going to be more snoopers out there and more I told you so's. And if he already can't handle this, then how's he going to handle that next wave? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, I think his level of frustration, if it wasn't true, I think you'd almost laugh it off. But if it was, I think you would react that way because that's more of the frustration of you trying to get this fight canceled you trying to get me to not make this payday you know like that sort of thing on the inside mm -hmm. that's what kind of came off to me uh the way that was handled so that you know it's not kamaru uzman's best moment but you kind of give him a pass because guess what in the past been a really cool cat really nice mm -hmm. guy even in his worst moments uh so it's not like connor you know where like when he does something everybody just jumps on him because well, he's had a lot of bad moments, you know. This is a guy that, for the most part, has been pretty cool with everyone and and kind of a role model esque type person. So I I tend to give him a pass, and we'll see after the fight. You know, maybe when the fight plays out, guess what? Maybe it doesn't go his way, and we can tell something's wrong. Or maybe at the end, he tells us, "Hey, I just had to protect what was going on. I didn't want my opponent to know, but yeah, I was hurt. We don't know." Yeah, and they've already had their press conference, so that's what goes is alluding to. It's been addressed that way. They've had some face-offs. This isn't the ones you'll see when you see, the, see them at the ceremonial way, and these are the press conferences, obviously, where you, they take questions from uh, the journalists and some fans, but it's on a dais. So, yeah, every day sometimes there's some, something else seems to be talked about, including today, Volkanovsky and is on Makashev, they're still bringing up uh, the rehydration stuff that went down at UFC 284. If you recall, Hooker's team accused Makashev of using an IV. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that can, those situations can get ugly. If I'm, if I'm Alexander Volkanovsky, I bring up as much as I can. You need every weapon you can possibly think of going into this fight because you're at a disadvantage. You really are. No matter what you say, no matter what you think, you are at a disadvantage. And if I can take my opponent out of his game, even the, in the slightest, I go for it. And I think that's what he was doing there with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And 
you know, for those that don't recall, you can't use an IV anymore. A lot of fighters used to rehydrate with that, but it's an illegal practice. However, when all this went down, I remember kind of some people doing a deep dive into the rules, and it looked like there still was like this exception that could be made by a doctor or something like that in which it wouldn't break the rules. But either way, I think it just started to go away, and I don't know that there was much follow-up. Really, it was just Hooker putting it out, then the coaches saying maybe he shouldn't have, and then just like, just like any other event, another fight night's upon us, and it all gets swept under the rug. But I'm kind of glad it, it got brought up, and I thought Volkanovski did a good job pouncing on it. Why not get under this guy's nerves? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, this game. I, you know, I don't want to say it's as much mental as it is physical, because I just think that's not true. But it is very, very mental at the same time, and uh, you got to take your shots when you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So listen, th- those videos are all available. If you can go to the front page, you want to read about the story, which provides different links to the different pivots that the story takes. Go to MMA Junkie, obviously. But I know a lot of you hardcores just like to consume the video. So go to youtube.com forward slash MMA Junkie video, and you'll see all that there. Uh, you can hit the subscribe button for us. That'd be great. We would love to get our subscriber count moving. Uh, and I think more with a little nudge from me. You hear it, you'll hear it from me here. You'll hear it from me on spinning back click. But it really does help the channel, which allows us to have more resources to bring you more content. So it, it's free, uh, but it's an awesome channel. Anyway, it's all there. Check it out. And don't forget about the watch along on Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. I'll bring it up a few times because I got to ingrain it in your head. It's an early start time. They're live in Abu Dhabi at a prime time for them but for us they're going early 2 p.m eastern 11 a.m pacific that's for the main card all right the prelims go earlier but right now we're only contracted to do the main card now no one goes and this prep is excellent prep we'll probably get in there a couple maybe a fight or two or i don't want to promise anything but once we're in there and everything's lined up there's no reason to step out and come back you know at the start time we'll just probably keep going so we'll join you guys as always it's going to be a fun time all right so goes listen um other than that i i guess you know there are a few fights to bring up but did you see anything in the face-offs or anything about the parts conference you want to discuss uh, what, what were your thoughts on all that you know uh, actually a little bit of the embedded have you been able to watch the embeddeds those have been pretty interesting i think um everybody on the embeddeds looks very look very very relaxed it's one of the most chaotic cards I could ever imagine. And everybody just seems very, very chill. It seems like um, some of the fighters that have had to travel have sort of figured out, okay, this is, I need to be here. You know, you've had a couple cards now where I think you could say, look, this is when you have to be there. This is what you're going to have to deal with. I think people are starting to feel a little bit more comfortable with these cards, but um the face-offs and the press conferences were okay. I thought the face-offs um, didn't feel as intense as I thought they would be. There mm-hmm. was a lot of laughing and joking around on this. You know, Hezbollah's popping up left and right. Um, I'm okay with that. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I Maybe I expected the game faces to come out a little bit more. Uh, Hamzat Shemaev is, is always going to be just that stone-cold killer. Um, mm-hmm. But even, even he's kind of got a funny side to him, so... I've enjoyed everything so far. Yeah, everything's always to the death with him. But uh, all right. 
I guess I will answer one question you said about embedded. Did you notice a difference in Johnny Walker's demeanor? He kind of seems more mature and more honed in. Like maybe I can say he's becoming more of a killer. You know, sometimes he's a little bit goofy and I know it's his personality and it's, it's fun. It's infectious. He's been in our studio. He cracks me up. He makes funny faces at the right time. But I think he knows, man. He gave a lot of respect to Magomed Ankalaev, and he knows that that's, you know, that's a straight-up G in front of him, and there ain't no messing around in this one. But he also knows the stakes are high. goes, the winner here could really propel themselves towards the top of a title shot after the, uh, you know, the one we got coming up here, that we, here with Alex Pajeda. And Yuri Prochaska. And yes, I know Jamal Hill's also wandering around, but you know the UFC, man. They can go two, three months later. I don't know that Hill won't be ready for another nine months or so. Yeah, Johnny Walker is like a real um, strange case because it wasn't that long ago that people were saying, whoa, like this dude just came on the scene. Then all of a sudden he had a couple losses that were just kind of leaving you like, is he not what we thought he was? And and then he's been able to turn it around. And I think a lot of it does have to do with how serious he's taking the sport. You can, you can be a practical joker. You could be a fun guy and still be intense, you know, in your sport. There's been a lot of those types of peoples in, in other sports. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Johnny is finally figuring it out. And the one thing that I will always say is I don't feel like he doesn't prepare properly. The dude always seems to be kind of like in some kind of county. He's always training. Um, yeah, he's got his time to go and, and be fun. You see that with like Moicano, right? He's always out there putting out videos, Paulo Costa. But when it comes down to it, Johnny Walker comes to fight. When he loses, I don't think you look at it and go, this is a dude that didn't take it serious or was underprepared. He just gets caught sometimes. He makes mistakes during fights. But I think that's the part that he's kind of honed in on. And I think this fight will be a lot more fun than we think, but it's kind of hard to go against Ankoliath. Yeah, I guess I would say, I don't know. I might disagree a little bit. Sometimes he did look like he wasn't taking things serious. Like maybe a certain position, like don't worry about making a face to the crowd. You know, when you're up against the fence about to get taken down, start working for those underhooks. Instead, sometimes I'll see him like kind of put an, you know, have like an, an over, right. Or maybe trying to threaten like there's some sort of a guillotine that he can go through and then he'll make some sort of a face and then he'll kind of go back to his game but mm-hmm. you know otherwise I don't, I, uh, look he's on a three fight win streak he's doing great i think he's matured but i just liked his presentation on embedded um how about paulo cost oh go ahead i do want to say one more thing about you know the interactions between fighters i thought volkanovsky made a really good point and it was something that got me thinking and he was talking about taking the fight on short notice and everything that you risk and all that. And he did say, I want everybody to know that if the shoe were on the other foot, there's no way this guy would have done the same. That was a very good quote. That was interesting. I, and I, and I, I might agree. That, that was a sword that went right into his chest. And yeah, you kind of like, it's not like we know everything about Islam Magashev, but you kind of like agree with it. You know, even without the situation playing out, you kind of go, yeah, I don't think he would have. I don't think a lot mm. of people would have, to be honest. But uh, for a guy that that talks so big, uh, that is one thing that I think you would you would probably say. I don't think he would have either. And even if it's just a mind game, who knows? Who knows if it might have worked? It goes along the lines of what Makashev and John Jones, you know, went at earlier this week as well. 
but I like it. You know why I like it goes because anytime you can kind of call him uh, Khabib Light, you know what I mean, or the JV Varsity of Khabib or anything, anything like that. I think that can mess with him. We'll see. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But Khabib is the guy that obviously they all aspire to be like, and you know he's got his one loss. Okay, he's a beast. We get it, but he's just he's nowhere near Khabib yet. And I know Khabib's got three title defenses, and Makachev's only got two. But Khabib like transcended not just fights. I mean, this guy's like an iconic figure. You know what I mean? And I bet you all of them want to be like Khabib. So anytime you can kind of remind them that there's still a way to go, that's messing with them. And guess what? Volkanovski, God bless that guy. With his two losses, three losses, whatever the hell that he has, I still think the world of him, man. That guy is just an absolute killer, a legend. I love the way he's comporting himself now. He's so, like, confident and says kind of cool things, you know, and uh, seeing him on tough and, barbecuing for the guys just seems like a dude's dude yeah very cool cat one of my favorites to be honest me me too me too i'm so mad that i picked against him and it took so long for me to figure out just how much of a badass he is but he really is uh earlier in the week makashev and jones uh, yeah makashev and jones since since we talked about a little bit what'd you think of that interaction you know makashev says hey that's what champions do um we step up and then he brings up Jones's incident of pulling out of, I think it was UFC 139 or something like that against Chael Sonnen years ago. Um, Jones, of course, replied, decided not to go, not to go low, like Michelle Obama said, just go high and took the different route. But Jones, I thought I was kind of proud of him in a way because, yeah, he could have. And it's not to say that tomorrow he can't be a jerk because he can. But I just kind of like the way he says hey man i'm way up here you sure you want some of this Mm -hmm. i uh there are certain fighters in history that are just gonna always get crap almost like almost to the point where no matter what they do their their ship is already sunk floyd mayweather is one of those guys where really when you look at all his accolades we should all be shutting up but there are ways to poke at his legacy. John Jones, I feel like, is another one of those guys that's done so much damage that even when you look at his incredible statistics and what he's accomplished, there's still ways to kind of put him down. In this particular incident, yeah, I think you kind of put it in a really good way. I was a little proud of him. I was like, eh, that's different. Like, that's a little bit more of a mature answer from a guy that uh, should be considered one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time, a guy that we should have way up high here. He mm-hmm. fit the bill. He acted like it. That That's what those people in those situations should say. So, yeah, respect to John Jones. Good good on you. I hope you keep that up. Yeah, and he's so right. I mean, he's got an outstanding resume that no one that's active right now even comes close to. Even all the nice things I said about Volkanovski, I think he's only at his fourth title defense or fifth or something like that. Jones is at 11 for crying out loud without taking one damn righteous proper L in that octagon. So, yeah, putting the troubles aside, you know, the legal stuff, the controversial stuff um, as a fighter himself, you know, 
I'm not sure why Islam Makashev picked that fight. All right, there's still a few more items I want to discuss. Let's t- let's get to one of our guests here. So uh, Chris Gutierrez just came off a win this past Saturday at UFC Fight Night 230. 25 and two overall, eight two and one in the UFC in the UFC's most exciting division. Bantamweight. Uh, I mean, really. You can't ask. Well, you can, but that's one hell of a start. So we're going to talk to El Bapo. What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes reporting for duty here on a Thursday. Today we get to talk to Chris El Guapo Gutierrez. Coming off a big win at the latest UFC Fight Night, UFC Fight Night 230 in Las Vegas. Uh, decision win. He's now 8-2-1 in the UFC, 20-5-1 overall. Sorry, 25-2 overall. Welcome back, Chris. How are you? I'm good, man. Thank you for, for having me. It's an amazing record you put together. And, of course, the 25-2. Very respectable, man. But I love that 8-2-1 in the UFC. Um, in a stacked division, you're you're a quiet assassin. You're a silent assassin, my friend. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, just trying to do the best I trying to do the best I can while I'm here. You know. Mm-hmm. And of course, I mean it with all respect. Silent in the sense that you know other bantamweights do get more publicity, but with a record like that, I feel like maybe. The, the corner is going to be turned and maybe 2024 will present some great opportunities for you. Is that how you map out 2024? Like this is the year where you graduate to title challenger or uh, an obvious title contender, not just the group, not just you lumped up in a group of 10 or something. Yeah. You know, I believe so. I, you know, I, I take it one, one day at a time, one fight at a time. Um, but with that being said, I think, I think I've I've I think I did enough to to you know to be in the mix now and to to be talked about. Um, yeah, I'm excited for what 2024 holds. You know, is there a fighter who approaches the game who's having success at the high level, like you know, like a champion, where you're thinking, I kind of like to do what they do. You know, for example, John Jones. He had his run, then he stayed away for three years, then he came back strong. You know, GSP kind of did the same thing. Israel Adesanya, Volkanovski, they like to stay busy. How about you, man? Like, what, what, what's, where do you feel the most comfortable in your career, you know, when it comes to pacing of your fights? Yeah, I mean, I, I, realistically, I like to fight around. You know, when I was a little bit younger, you know, four or five times a year, I'd like to fight. But, you know, given now, you know, the fights are a lot more, a lot more harder uh you know everyone's at the elite level you know so realistically two to three times a year i like to stay a little little active you know a little busy but you know injuries have have uh kept me on the sidelines for a little bit and so yeah that's part of the that's part of the game though unfortunately Will you be rooting for a guy like alexander volkanovsky not because you don't like islam but just because of it's a fairy tale type thing. The guy was on the couch about a week ago, gets the call, travels, I think, six time zones. 
to uh, fight, you know, a pretty damn good lightweight. And if he pulls it off, it'll be historic. So he's kind of rolling the dice, and it might bite him on the ass, and you'll have to hear about it. But still, like, it, it there, there's an excitement to it. Don't you agree? Oh, I, I, I agree 100%. You know, the, the fact that he is taking this on short notice, you know, but it's a one in a, it's a, it's a hell of a lifetime uh, opportunity. You know, like you said, maybe this will be the last run for him. Who knows? There's so many unknown factors going into this fight. Like I said before, I think the I think we the fans are the are the winners in this. Um, you know, I, I am going for Volk though. I, I just think he's a I think he's a, a, a great fighter. I think he's a great person. Uh, very down to earth, humble. Uh, yeah, man, I'm rooting for Volk in this fight. Would you have done something like that? I mean, I'm not in that situation fighting for a belt, <laughs> but I mean, I don't. Given his pay, payday, and everything he's getting, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Is the payday? I know you can't answer on behalf of all fighters, but I wonder this: Is the payday worth the risk of this? Could be your last title shot. You know, I'm not saying Volk's in that spot, but I'm saying a lot of times I feel like the UFC dangles this carrot. The fighters go. A lot of times they come up short, and I don't know. I would think that you would want to be at your best when you fight for a title, not kind of doing some, a favor for the company. Man, that's a, that's a hard one. That, that really is. That's, that's a hard question to answer because, you know, of course, we, we, we do this to provide for our families and to give them a better life, um, right. you know. And, I mean, we take a risk every time we step in there, whether it's for a title fight or not. Um, you're risking your health, your life, realistically, for the entertainment of others, you know. And um, man, that's such, that's a good question. It's it's so hard to answer, though. I mean, you, I don't know, man. That's hard. I mean, you, I would say yes. You know, the the the, the money is a an intriguing factor of it, mm -hmm. but um, at the same time, you have to be smart. You know, no one's gonna care about your career more than you. Uh, regardless of what anyone says. So you have to kind of look at the pros and cons. But uh, I'm sure he's got a hell of a team with him. And, uh, yeah, man, I, um, I think he's he's approaching it correctly. Like he said, um, he has nothing to lose in this fight. Islam has everything to lose. He's supposed to be – he's supposed to win this fight. He's had the training camp. He's He's been dialed in a lot, you know, for, for many more weeks. And like I said, I don't think Volk was on the couch, but – to say he was getting ready for five rounds would probably be a stretch, but I'm sure he was he was in the gym training, being active, doing his recovery for his surgery that he had. So I, yeah, I'm interested to see how it plays out for sure. Chris, can you maybe this this past fight, not just the fight, but the camp in general, the the whole the whole product, can you maybe give us your high and your low of that whole experience? I'm sorry, say that again. Kind of broke out. Uh, can you give us your high and low of this past experience, this past fight? With, like with me? Yeah. Uh, highs and lows, yeah. Um, you know, I suffered uh, an injury during – suffered an injury like four weeks, four or five weeks uh, before my original fight date on the 7th. Um, I dislocated my shoulder. It, I tore the labrum. Jeez. And I uh, tore the AC joint, I think, seven centimeters or seven, yeah, seven centimeters. And uh, 
that was very that was a low moment for me because again we we do this to uh to provide for our family you know to be able to get ahead in life and uh, that was definitely a low moment you know just a freak accident that happened in the gym drilling and that's that's what it you know that's unfortunately that's all it takes where we we ride a fine line between training and, and and being hurt you know what i mean it's that very fine line and sometimes you cross it um and that was my low not knowing you know going to the doctor and then being like hey it's torn mm, doesn't look good you know doctors have to err on the side of caution and all that so you know i got with my team and we talked and I had to go through some, uh, some, some, some definitely some mental uh, battles, some mental demons, uh, because you got one people saying, "Hey, it's, it's, it's torn. You, you cannot throw it. You, you can't do shit with it." And you got other people, you know, telling you, "All right, the way to, the way to, to get to the fight is to not use it." So for four weeks, four and a half, almost five weeks, I couldn't use, you know, my arm, and. Um, you know, going into a fight, being like, man, I haven't thrown this hand in, in four weeks. Now I'm about to go fight. Um, and then the highs were, uh, you know, I was able to make it to the fight. I was healthy. Um, I really trusted in, I really trusted in my support system that I had. Uh, I dove really, I dove, to be honest, man, I dove further into my faith. And, uh, yeah, that was, I think that was my highest highs was the fact that like I got closer with God and, you know, in a way and with myself Man, and, Chris, uh, yeah, that's highs and dude, lows. So that is incredible to have to go through that. What, what happens going forward with that now? Uh, life goes on. Uh, you just gotta kind of got to roll with the punches, uh, you know? You know, I'm still I'm I'm doing the things that I have to do necessary for like the the PT and you know to get back to to where I was. And so, uh, you know, no surgery. Most, what's that? No surgery. No, no surgery. No surgery. Okay. Thank God. Nice. All right. And then you know, as far as your division goes, it's had a little shakeup at the top. Do you like that? Do you do you like when the the champion kind of switches around here and there or do you prefer to have kind of like one dude and you chris gutierrez be the guy that shows up and spoils the party for everyone <laughs> no man i think it's uh i think it's awesome the fact that the belts have switched you know it just shows you that uh anything is possible you know 2023 was full of some some crazy things and um you know, I think that sent a message not just to, like, the, the athletes, the fighters. I think it sent a message to, like, you know, a generation of kids growing up that, you know, you, 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 know, you work hard enough and you go through all the adversities and you stick to it. Um, the universe has a way of getting out of the way uh, of your way, you know? Mm -hmm. And then just one more thing on, on my end. the On MMA Junkie right now, we're counting down the – 30 greatest UFC fighters of all time. And we just announced Frankie Edgar yesterday. We're doing one at a time. You were the last person to face Frankie Edgar. Can you 
maybe share a, a good story from that that camp or from that actual fight or a conversation you had with him? Uh, no, not with him uh, personally. It was just um, I think the um, the coolest thing was I mean it was cool, scary, surreal. It was it was all the emotions that you would feel facing somebody like Frankie Edgar. You know, I grew up watching this guy on uh you know on the uh the mtv show uh you know where it's like the life of an mma fighter or something like that mm -hmm. and so you know i was i was watching this guy when i first started you know i was not even a, i haven't even had my first amateur fight and so to see someone of that caliber and then your name gets drawn to for you and him to, to dance it's a surreal moment, you know. It's uh, you're almost like looking at Superman across the cage, and uh, you know you have to learn to. Uh, and it's hard. It's it's hard to uh, to like remove the name and the face. Uh, because if if you give them the power, you make them larger than life. And uh, I think what I did really good was uh, I I removed the the face and the name, and it was just the body. Uh, that was a really a really cool moment. Do you think the current champion Sean O'Malley can get to that point where he's got a little bit of a Superman to him? It seems like he's always like the underdog. No one gives him a chance to win fights, but he does get the job done. You know, like how, how do you feel like that that the guy at the top is in regards to you? I mean, would you fight him tomorrow, or do you still feel like there's some? holes the shore up before you can get to the top guy no I, I i believe i could i could beat sean o'malley you know i think i think he's a good fighter you know i'd be lying if i said oh he sucks or he's garbage no i think he's very smart and calculated on how he approaches the game yeah. uh but other than that i don't you know anyone can be beat we all can be beat that that's it's no superman mentality there's no superman to to him <laughs> you know what i mean uh no one so i don't i don't i don't give that power to people like that mm -hmm. you had stated that you wanted the winner of font versus figueredo does that match with the health of your shoulder you know the the rehab that you're doing have you changed your mind is there another name that you thought of well shit i didn't think of that guy or, or anything like that in the last few weeks last few days uh, no, I mean, I'm still, I still think what I said is, is valid. Uh, I added some, I added two more names though to that list. Um, I could, you know, maybe the winner of, uh, Bautista and Simone, that's another, those are other two other guys, you know, uh, you know, we're all going to face each other at some point, so might as well get it done now. Mm -hmm. Are you out for a friendly stroll or you got a dog with you? Uh, both. <laughs> see the dog. We're curious. We, we we're big dog guys, and I, I always like to see other people's dogs. What, what do you have? Okay, hold on. Let me turn this thing around. Well, Spike, come here. Hey, say hello to the camera. Oh, look at that! Wow, that's he a good-looking dog, man. Thank you. Just turned eleven uh, yesterday. God oh, bless man. him. Nice. <laughs> right. That's awesome. You have just yeah. one? No, no. I got my late my girl's dog is out here too. Where's oh, she? Okay. There she goes. Right. 
That's my lady. Very cool. <laughs> well, well, we'll let you go, man. Spend some time with the family, with the dogs. Great catching up with you. You're doing outstanding in a very difficult division. I see some big fights for you in 2024. We'd love to catch up more uh, pre and post fight because, uh, like I say, man, it's this is my this is my favorite division, and there's so many killers here. It's it's so much fun. But anyway, thanks for the time, man. I appreciate you guys for the opportunity, and uh, definitely send me the video. I want to I want to see the the teams walking out. So that okay. noise that played, that yeah. was actually it. It just popped up right now. Oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah, I'll yeah, send got, that to you. I got two good angles, and I'll send the second one to goes, and he'll send it to you. Awesome. Well, uh, take care and enjoy Peru, and uh, I appreciate the time, fellas. Thank you. Thank All you right. We'll see, we'll see you. Well, that ties into what we were just talking about, goes. That's a guy that managed to hide a pretty serious injury, a torn labrum going into that fight. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I felt like... <laughs> I don't know if maybe he didn't understand the question. I mean, he, he did answer it, but I guess no surgery and just letting it rest. Maybe I thought you can only do that when it's like kind of sprained. I thought once it's like torn, you got to go in there, but uh, who knows, you know, maybe, maybe he's trying to protect something. You know, I, I respect that, but yeah, that is pretty nuts. Yeah, he was, he followed it up with the severity of it. He gave a degree. So I, I guess maybe it wasn't a full tear, and that's why he was able to, you know, without pushing the limits, like like he said, not using it for about a month and a half, he was able to get to the dance. And coming out of it, now, you know, we followed up and said, hey, are you going to require surgery? He says no. So that's good. That's good for him. Maybe it works out for him. The winner of Bob, uh, Rob Font versus Davis Figueredo. That's not bad. That's not a bad fight to pitch out there. There's a few more. What do you say, Ricky Simone and someone else? Uh, yeah. yeah, good. I mean, I, I was hoping he'd shoot a little higher. I kind of appreciate what Jonathan Martinez said. He goes, give me Mirab. Now, he was realistic. He goes, I don't know if I'll get him, but give me Mirab. So he threw it out there, and that's good. I like that. And it's funny when you're so behind the scenes, we have to write down the topics of uh, what we're talking about as the show goes on. And you brought up Jonathan Martinez right as I was typing John Jones. And I actually put Jonathan Martinez. I'm looking back at my notes. They're not making sense. But um, I think big names like that it can just never hurt you. Why not throw out those names? Nothing bad can come from it. Literally nothing bad can happen. And uh, I think sometimes the UFC makes you feel like you're not worth what you really are. And some of these guys can shock you. If you look at if you look at this guy's record overall, it's pretty damn impressive. You know, you don't want to be caught up as one of these guys that just has these incredible, um, maybe not a win streak because he does have a loss in it within it. But you know, you can always go back and say uh, nine of the last ten. You know, those still kind of count for something. Mm -hmm. You don't want to get lost as one of those guys that just has one of those tremendous streaks and doesn't get anything for it. So I agree. Exactly. I like the name he put out, but it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt to go big. That's why when Jonathan Martinez put it out there, it was not a bad idea. I wish he wouldn't have said, I know it's not realistic. Let someone ask you, do you think it's realistic? But don't say it because then you, it kind of loses its oomph to it, you know, but mm -hmm. whatever. He put it out. Look, Sean O'Malley, no one thought that him and Peter Yan should be mixing it up. And that happened about a year ago. It came out of nowhere. I think it was Sean Shelby's creation. And same thing here. 
you just never know when the matchmaker might hear something like that and go, well, no one else wants this guy. You got him. And that pretty much propelled him to a title fight. So put it out there. Put it out there, fighters, is all I can say. You know, let us talk about it. Um, and some people may laugh. And guess what? The people that really know know that there have been some pretty huge upsets out there. And, and that's one we can point at. It's recent and it's relevant. It's within his division. Anyway, uh, all right, I want to clean a few things up. Hamza Shemaev, he had a pretty good line. He basically said Usman's the old version of the iPhone. He put him at an iPhone 5. But then he said, I'm a pro. And I think what he meant to say, I'm probably the iPhone 15 Pro Max or something. I just wish that we would have rehearsed that line. I think it would have been good because that's a worldwide product. And the comparison is funny. You know, like, I imagine if we were to go find what an iPhone 5 looks like, you know, it probably can't do a lot of the things that these new ones can do. But I, I appreciate that he made the effort. I just wish he would have, like, worked on the delivery a little bit more. I actually didn't see that. Uh, I didn't catch that. But that's actually pretty funny. Sometimes when you're a foreigner and, you know, English isn't your, your first language, sometimes it's almost funnier when that happens. But, yeah, I get what you mean. But that's, that's actually pretty good. I like that. Well, someone had asked him, you know, because Costa's out and Usman's in and had he ever been on your radar? Because Shemayev's dabbled with welterweight, but now he's at middleweight. So this is a middleweight encounter. He says, quote, of course, because since day one, I get to the UFC. Everyone spoke about Hamzat, Usman, Hamzat, Usman. He continues, our wrestling skills are striking, all of these things. Usman is a fighter like me, but he's the old version. I'm new, different, like iPhones come out. He's iPhone 5, I'm like <laughs> Pro. It's different. I thought that was funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, polish it up a little bit, but I think it's there. Uh, okay, now I brought up Costa's name. Let's talk about that. Did you see? I mean, he's been revealing a lot of his arm, you know, a month ago, two months ago, three weeks ago, two weeks ago. And even recently, it's as it's starting to heal, that thing's ugly. He would not have been, it would not have cleared. And not even close. I don't know what, how he's going to fall out of shape or if he's looking to turn something around in New York, in Las Vegas. The guy's popular. He has some social media skills, he has some fighting skills. Um, but he just doesn't fight often. I think maybe because he's gotten so much heat online from people with different opinions. Look, there's just no way he's going to fight like that. Um, if you look at the damage that was done and, and the, the hole basically that he had in his arm, uh, that's never going to be cleared. And, and I don't know if like people, I don't even know if maybe the UFC looks at something like that and says, bro, why didn't you tell us this like earlier? You know, Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. But yeah, that looked pretty damn nasty. And this is one that I don't think you can really hold against him, you know, the way maybe we have in on other instances. But I kind of like that matchup. I wish we would have gotten it as much as I like Kamaru Usman. Um, I just think it would have been a really, really fun fight. And I hope one day maybe we do get it still. Mm -hmm. Me too. Um, those two are colorful. They're talented. And they are title challenger material. Right now, I call them contenders, we'll say. Challengers, when you're pretty much the clear number one or you're the actually challenger and the fight's been booked. Neither one's that. But 
Boars might come out of this fight with that because of what Dana White said, that the winner of this fight uh, gets a shot at the title. Dana did kind of do something that I enjoyed, and I was saying, barring injuries or other unforeseen circumstances, that's what I like to hear. That way no one holds it to him. You know, like when he clearly said the winner, Bilal versus Gilbert Burns, was number one, and then they went to Colby, and it's like, oh, my God. All right. Uh, one other thing here. Uh, this countdown, we failed to mention it earlier. MMA Junkie's doing the top 30 countdown. Sorry, the top 30 fighters in UFC history, a countdown. 30 days leading into UFC 295 on November 11th. So basically, the UFC started on November 12th, 1993. And UFC 295 lands on November 11th, 2023. So close enough, right? Three, uh, 30 years. And we've started unleashing our top 30 as a panel, right? The editors, the videographers, the reporters, the radio guys. We all voted on our top 30 and then just use a simple numerical system, uh, 1 to 30. So, like, if you put John Jones as a 1, he got a 1. And so, obviously, the least amount of points you came up with, the higher you went up on the thing. So, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not saying he's your number 1. He's just the one that came to mind. And... Some of this might represent what each of us actually think, maybe close to. I don't know that anybody could say they were they went 30 for 30 here. And then some, yeah, of course, there's going to be some disagreement. But again, we did it as a panel, and we were all happy with the results. Uh, and well, maybe not happy is right the, word, the right word, but we were all just content that that's the way the system was. And uh, the only other thing we could do, I guess, is all of us present our own 30 or have one person do it, but we went the democratic way. Anyway, so let's go over some of those goes. Uh, Dustin Poirier at number 30. Frank Shamrock, 29. Francis Ngannou, 28. Joanna Yendrychik, 27. Uh, Frankie Edgar, 26. Those are the first five. Pretty impressive lot. Well, I think the first thing that stands out is anybody that just heard that, I don't think you're ever anybody's going to say, none of those names deserve to be on the list, right? You would be shocked if you sit there and make a list of your own. I know you think you probably hear a name like Dustin Poirier and go, he barely made the list. Bro, there's a lot of fighters, and this this sport has a very, very long history. And you can't disrespect the past. There are just certain things that were done in the past that still deserve to be praised. It, this This list is a lot harder to make than you guys think. Um, but those names, I think all, we didn't hear a name where we all said, oh, that person doesn't deserve to be there. I think they're solid names. And then you just kind of got to do the math a little bit with certain things to figure out why fighters ended up where they ended up. But, uh, so far so good. And, um, I think, uh, who's today? Today was Tito Ortiz. Uh, Ortiz. Yeah. Yeah. Like Tito Ortiz. I, I just, I just tweeted not too long ago, like love him or hate him you just can't argue with what this dude did for our sport. He carried the sport for, for a good amount of time, him and Chuck Liddell and Randy Couture um, and even Vitor Belfort. I kind of call them the, the four Kings of the light heavyweight division. They just rotated, but they kind of carried the sport for a couple years with their main events and stuff. So Tito Ortiz, man, like he accomplished a lot. I think he changed a lot of things in the games for fighters. And, 
And like I said, he carried the sport for a very, very long time, brought a lot of attention. He was, I guess, uh, I don't want to say he was our first bad boy because I feel like that was always Tank Abbott. But uh, he's one of the first, like, heels, you could say. Yeah, and same camp, coincidentally. They were actually friends that you, you could see them walking each other out in the early UFCs, you know, as a support. But, yeah, they kind of went kind of their own ways a little bit, had maybe a little bit of a falling out, but they were both part of, uh, you know, that Huntington Beach crew, not the team punishment that you hear of, because that's something Tito uh, created, but more like just, you know, you had the you had the guys from Bettendorf, Iowa, you had the guys from Huntington Beach, you had the guys from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and, you know, there were, a lot of it was all about kind of teams. Um, of course, Shamrock's crew, what were they called? Lions Den. They were down in San Diego mm-hmm. for a while. So, uh, Tito was a guy that defended his, so he won the light heavyweight title and he had four title defenses. That's no joke, guys. Four title defenses, five, excuse me, five title defenses. He beat Vanderlei Silva for the vacant UFC light heavyweight title and yeah, defended it five times. Yuki Kondo, Evan Tanner, Edward Sinisek, Vladimir Matyshenko, Ken Shamrock. Now, yeah, when you look back now and those guys went on to take some L's, of course, you can say, oh, this, that. You know, slam the guy, but no, those are title defenses at that time in the marquee division. You got to tip your hat to to, uh, to Tito Ortiz. I think number twenty five is fair. And as far as the others go, you know, um, Poirier still could add a little bit more to it. But look, I'll just skim it. Poirier has not won an undisputed title. He's won an interim title, but he's won made a lot of money. He's become one of the pay per view stars of the company. His fights are exciting. He's got a lot of skins on the wall. So I thought 30 worked good for him. Shamrock, he actually beat Tito Ortiz. You know, I feel about head-to-head, but his stay in the UFC wasn't as long and memorable. Uh, It was, you know, early on, he did his four fights, four title defenses kind of early and then bounced. You know, he kind of moved on to strike force. So he came in at 29, but still he had four title defenses. And guess what goes? He did all that dude he won the uh, inaugural title against kevin jackson and then he defended it four times and he did it all in um a, a year and a half i mean that's simply amazing Crazy. honestly yeah. yeah maybe maybe a year and, and three-fourths but regardless less than two years to do all that that's pretty damn incredible he also won a wec title moving on next up is um francis Ngannou. Look, he may go down as the greatest heavyweight ever. I don't know. He still has to kind of get back and add to the resume. He's only got one title defense, but he's one and one against the guy they call the greatest heavyweight ever, and that's uh, Steve Miocic, who now has his hands full with John Jones. And if John Jones can get past Steve Miocic, imagine that. Imagine that conversation. Now he enters that conversation. But regardless, Ngannou is, I think, what we all – when we all tune into this sport and want to know who the baddest man on the planet is, how do you not point to that guy and just show how devastation this guy is, how, how devastating this guy is? I think if you lined up the entire UFC roster and just asked somebody that knew nothing about uh, wins and losses, who they thought the baddest man in the room would be, they'd probably point at him. It's got to be that guy, right? He's got the looks and the skills to back it up. Like He was a, mm-hmm. a no-brainer. Scary. That's a scary mofo. Joanny and Jacek, five title defenses. Frankie Edgar, three title defenses. 
the longevity. He fought at 55, 45, 35. You know, they all have cases. Anyway, check it out. I think you guys will really dig it. We've been sharing it everywhere. And if you can share it and retweet it and like it, that would be awesome. A lot of people are every day kind of look for, looking forward to the next one. And it's nice to see the debates as well. All right. Next up, Tyson Chartier, the 2020 Co-Coach of the Year, along with Eric Nixick. We'll be right back. Right here joining us right now is Tyson Chartier, the head coach for the New England Cartel. Also, may I remind you, a 2020 Coach of the Year for MMAJunkie.com. How you doing, Coach? Doing good, guys. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. Hey, you wear that proudly. I, I noticed as I was researching what you've been up to, you stickied on your Instagram that uh, that that acknowledgement. You and Eric Nixick shared Coach well, of the Year a few years Eric ago. Eric gets a second belt. I need to, like... I was like, I know him, you know, <laughs> put that up there and be like, yeah, I know Eric. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And it was well-deserved. Thank you. You have a great team, not only a great team of fighters, they're good people. Yeah. I think we do a pretty good job about vetting out people that wouldn't fit in and um, cultivating the right people that kind of fit into our, you know, our attitude. You see the way our, our guys fight. It's like a, a blue collar approach. They're gritty. Mm -hmm. Even when we lose, we're in tough fights and, uh, you know, they're all good people like our families are all friends with each other and stuff so it's a, it's a, like a close-knit family i was gonna say that you guys have like a family environment with yeah. your team yeah it's not an accident you know we all love each other and uh you know my kids call rob and calvin uncle you know it's, yeah. it's, it's uh it's good you know <coughs> you're gonna spend all that you. time with those guys every week and on these road trips and stuff like that you might as well uh surround yourself with people that you would hang out with if you weren't at work I like that you guys travel together to fights, and even I've seen Calvin and Rob, they've cornered many a people. That's such a cool environment that you guys all have, and it seems like everybody's willing to help each other. Yeah, I, I think it kind of happened on accident, whereas Calvin wasn't in the UFC yet, but he had just gotten to 16-2, and two, and I said, listen, Rob's fighting in uh, England you know, in like a month. I was like, you should get a ticket and come out with us. You can stay in the coach's room with us. I go, but you need to see how the UFC works. Mm -hmm. You could be a training partner with Rob that week. And um, just get to meet all the UFC staffs so that way when you make your debut, which we think will happen soon, um, you won't be so like kind of enamored by the bright lights and all the new people in the process. So you get to see it. And him and Rob just meshed so well that week that Rob's like, Rob didn't any, even end up fighting. The, uh, Ian Entwistle, I think, had an issue cutting weight. So we didn't fight, but then Rob fought shortly after that. And he's like, I want Calvin with me on every fight week. And then fast forward another, you know, I think it was another six, eight months. Uh, Calvin made his debut, and he's like, I want Rob out in my fight week. So it's just been like that ever since. Weren't they rivals at one point, too, on the regional scene? They, I mean, they'll tell you when they get in here. They weren't rivals. Like They like, they both were just like gunning for that number one spot, and yeah. um, they weren't training together at the time. And I was uh, you know, working with Rob already, and I knew Calvin from the set of Here Comes the Boom, the movie. And I thought he was a great kid. And my... You know, my issue at that time was that New England had all these stud fighters, but we were like vastly underrepresented on the national stage. And my theory on it was that there was all these little gyms that had egos. They were like, oh, my best guy can beat your best guy. And it's like, cool, you might do that, but we should probably have them train together and get them both to the UFC and they can win mm -hmm. fights out there. Right. And uh, so I kept him away from away from Calvin. Um, you know, they they both would have fought each other, but like I, I just didn't let it happen. And then I eventually Calvin got back acting. He had a little bit of a layoff and came back and started training with us. And it worked out great. Cause I don't know what, how it would have gone down if they fought each other, if they would have ever been friends after or not, probably, but 
you know, it's good that they avoided each other and now they're like brothers. Things have changed since then though, right? I think I see a little bit more cross training from some of the gyms. Yeah, no, I think New England opened up uh, once we got some different guys in the UFC. And then once we left the gym we were formerly at and kind of went out on our own, we started bouncing around a little bit. And I think, and I'm not taking credit for it, but I think we were kind of like, well, we're going to go here. And then we brought some people with us. And then some other people that knew those people came in. And then, you know, Lausanne became a hub for sparring every Saturday. And that was going on for a couple of years. Then COVID happened. And then now, you know, Lausanne still got a bunch of guys that go down there. He's a little further south from us. We do sparring on Saturdays a little further north. And we get a bunch of guys from, you know, different states that come in. And um, yeah, now there's a lot less egos, I think. I think everybody understands that, like, listen, like, this is the the small pond. Like, we don't bicker about what goes on here. Like, the goal is to take... If you're, you know, a gym that has, you know, 15, 20 local fighters and you've got that one prospect that you know, that, okay, this guy could be good, you got to handle that guy differently. Like, you got to get him out on the road, get him to spar with guys like Rob and Calvin or, or Joe Lozon or whoever else and um, get pushed like that. And uh, I think you're finally starting to see a lot of those other gyms in New England kind of open up to that. And I think part of that, too, is like I, I have the management company where I manage a lot of those prospects. So then that opens a lot of the doors for each other, for those guys that are under top game to train with each other. So... Um, there's been a lot of synergy in the last 10 years in New England. And uh, I feel like we're finally getting to that point where we're, you know, getting represented in the UFC and Bellator and, and all the, uh, the bigger promotions. So it's, it, I think we've come a long way, but I think we can go a lot further. How has the culture changed a little bit with the UFC PI and Dana White's Contender Series? Because that kind of allows you to come out a couple times, right? You usually come out with a fighter and I notice you don't come alone. And so being able to use the PI and all that, how has that changed coaching a little bit for you guys? So we, it's good for cross-training. And then you've got guys like Nixick who are like so welcoming. They're like, yeah, come into our gym, use it however you want. So it's been good because the gyms out here have flourished because of it. You know, you have a lot of guys that get to the UFC and then move out here to train at either like Syndicate or Extreme Pator. So it's good for the gyms out here. But then it's good for the people like us that come out and want to like train with the gyms out here. So we get the benefit of the PI, which, you know, you, you basically pay for your plane ticket and get a hotel or an Airbnb. And you get to train at the PI all week. You know, the fighters don't have to pay for that. They get free food, free supplements, free physical therapy. And you get to cross-train with some of the best fighters in the world. You know, like we had a training session the other day. I think there was 18, 18 kids on the mat and, you know, world champions from different organizations. And all these guys are just, like, helping each other get better. So it's, it's good for us to come out here, kind of test what we've been doing back home, and then learn some new things and take those back home to the other guys. Um, and it's good for these guys' confidence midway through camp to get out here and kind of feel where they're at, test mm -hmm. themselves against some other people, see some things that aren't working, and then go back home with some things that are, are now going to work. And um, from, yeah, from a coaching standpoint, it's like I learn a lot too because I get to come out here and bump elbows with guys like Giffy and Eric and, you know, even um, Harry, uh, Henry, Harry, Harry, St. Ledger. You know, um, Patchy Mix's coach. Mm -hmm. I was talking to him today. We were learning some stuff from him on the ground. But you just get to see how other teams operate from like an operational standpoint, like how they set up their schedule, how they coach during practice. Uh, and then obviously then there's like the tactical part of it. Like how do they, you know, different moves they're doing and stuff like that. And then just try to be a sponge and learn as much as you can to bring back to New England. If uh, they were to do a PI on the East Coast, what would be a good hub where you could hit, you know, multiple cities, different states? Just do it right, right there in, uh, in Lawrence, Mass, where we are. <laughs> how close is that to Boston? It's like... 30 minutes from Boston. You know, About a drive to New York. Doing it in, the, in downtown Boston. Like, you guys think you have traffic here. You guys don't have traffic here. Like, you couldn't, if you did it in downtown. Start, we don't think we have, you start we don't think we have traffic here. Well, you guys have it in California. You guys have it. Oh, well, that's yeah. a whole other yeah. animal, yeah. So, 
if you did it in downtown Boston, that would pose some challenges. It would be annoying to go in there like for the day and then come back. It's just dealing with that the rush bad? hour. It's just annoying, you know, uh-huh. just going into the city, out of the city, parking. It's almost, it'd probably be way better to get more land and stuff outside the city. Either no, probably north of the city, just because where we are. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it'd be great if we had one on the east coast that we could drive to. Even if it was like New Jersey or New York, we could drive three hours and like post up for four days, then drive home. You know, it is tough coming out to Vegas. You know, we're we're out here for two weeks. I got three little kids, and you know, a wife that's holding it down while I'm gone. It does get hard, but you know, I think it's necessary at times that you know you got to do it. But if we did have this out out there, it would be it would be awesome. But also, I don't think it wouldn't be the same because, like, you're not going to have all the gyms that you have out here and then all the, you know, the fighters that you have out here. And then if you had one in New England and everybody's training there, then you're kind of like cross-training with all the guys your local fighters are going to fight against. And, mm-hmm. But I don't know. It would be awesome just for the, the food, the PT, all that stuff. I know that's one of the big things the guys love about coming out here is you get, like, free table work every day. And that keeps, you know, these guys going through camps. It's Obviously, it's a rigorous sport. So, um I know some like it more than others, but just being able to like get people like Heather Linden to fix you every day after hard sessions is like, you know, you can't pay enough money for that and you get it for free. Aren't you a little shocked about the traffic considering like Red Sox games probably like little by little they start leaving the stadium, right? Like <laughs> staggered the traffic. No? Yeah, man, we're not. I, I'm one of the few people from the East Coast that was like in college. I'm like, if I could just see the Red Sox win one time, I'll stop caring. <laughs> And I meant it. Like, they won, and I was like, all right, good. That was it? That now was a wrap? No, then I, like, passively watched them after that. I was kind of uh, like, all Good right, thing we you weren't in college in 1908 when they won <laughs> their last one before they won it in 2004. Yeah, we were, we were definitely, like. Like, 80-year run, man. Yeah, it's like, people want to hate Then all of a sudden, Annex right flex in. We're the city <clears> of <throat> champions. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Ugh. I mean, I guess the Celtics did have an incredible run. And the Patriots. Yeah, that's and where, the that's where they stepped on everybody's neck. Yeah, but yeah, it's we were so blessed for a long time. Like, you know, with the the Patriots winning how they were, the Celtics won, the Bruins got some in there, the Red Sox got a few. It's like when we were little, no one was winning anything. After the Celtics had their little run in the '80s, it was like we just. I remember watching the NFL with my dad, watching the Patriots every Sunday. But it was like the only games we cared about was when we played the Dolphins, wanted to beat Dan Marino. You weren't mm. playing for the playoffs back then. You were trying to go like two and fourteen and win two games against the Dolphins. And that's cool. Um, yeah. So people can call us fairweather fans, like, "Oh, you just must be nice to cheer for the hometown team." It's like, dude, I was cheering for them when they were like two wins a year. <laughs> it's uh, but right now it's not the, the best. Remember time. when the Bears smashed them like in '85 or something? '86. The refrigerator. Yeah, they had their was... freaking refrigerator Perry yeah. score on us. They had some rough times, yeah. man. So they deserve to flex. Yeah. Now that things are good. All right, a couple quick ones for you, just so that. People know the history. At one time, Mark Delagradi's gym was kind of like the big one out there, right? Is his gym still around? And are you guys aligned in any way? Is does that gym still exist? Or yeah, as far as I know, it still it still exists. They have some fighters like on the local scene that I still see at some shows. Yeah. We don't really cross paths with them no, anymore. Okay. That's where we used to train. And then I think in 2017, we broke off, Got and then we we're doing our own thing for a couple of years. And then officially in 2019, we named it the New England Cartel. So we've been out of there since 2017. Okay, so you were there for a while. Yeah, so that's the one where you have to duck under. Yeah, to go yeah, in that's old that. rustic. Ba- yeah, the basement is like. A, yeah. yeah, no, we had some good times there. Um, we learned a lot, and then, you know, some of the lessons that we learned there, we carried into, you know, how to run this team, and it's, uh, you know, how far is Maine, where Tim Sylvia and Marcus Davis were from, and I, you know, I don't know if they said yeah. anything up up there. Yeah, no, they. 
Maine's big, so it's like some we go to Portland, Maine sometimes for wrestling, and that's like an hour and a half drive for us. Yeah. But you can go like four hours past that and still be in Maine. It's it's pretty big. Um, you know, they were like by the time they like really got in the UFC, they were already out. You got know, it. like they yeah. weren't they weren't like they're New England guys, like Mike Brown's a great guy from Maine, you know, Tim, mm-hmm. you know, champion. But it's like So Boston is kind of like a hub. Yeah. And that's where these different teams you talked about that you know if you're gonna set up a east coast um pi with there being i guess fighters in jersey new york and boston it sounds like almost new york would be probably the most i think new york and new jersey would probably make the most sense because you get those guys coming up from maryland and um people from yeah. northeast coming down so i think that that's what i was wondering is how big northeast is i remember the ces show produced a lot of great fighters and those old school names that i brought up but i just wasn't wondering if mma just continues to kick off are there a lot of kids at schools that want to be fighters for the next generation yeah you're starting to see a lot of like younger fighters coming in like one of the kids that we brought out here with us uh mitch Raposo, he was on the ultimate mm-hmm. fighter and the contender series like we started working with he us. looks like a good fighter no, man he's, like, he's phenomenal like, tough he, fighter he just had a bad run but yeah no he, i mean he lost at 35 in the ultimate fighter and then he he had a good round against hadley and just got caught in the second um but there's no yeah. shame in that he's a good fighter mm-hmm. but he's ripped off three finishes since then like so we brought him out here with us this week like he was one of those kids as part of that new generation he's 24 now but when he was like 12 he started doing mma and then he wrestled in high school just because he wanted to be better at mma it wasn't like he wrestled because he liked wrestling he wrestled because he wanted to be better at mma so you're starting to see the, those guys enter the gym and those guys are just so well around. It's like, well, what are you? And they're like, no, I'm an MMA fighter. Like I didn't, I'm not a wrestler. I'm not a, a boxer. I'm not this. I'm, I'm like, this is what I do. My sport is MMA. It's not jujitsu. Now I'm going to fight. It's my sport is MMA. Mm-hmm. Um, you know who Deion Sanders is? Yep. So he's kind of like the big thing. He's taken a couple L's the last few weekends. What do you expect? He ran up against an LA team, right? But um Prior to that, I mean, really, like, he, he was saying thing. He said something important. He said, send me your kid, and I'll turn him from a boy into a man. What about you, Coach? How do you identify yourself and what your team, the cartel, can do for uh, someone that wants to be a prize fighter, a historical prize fighter, make a lot of money, or maybe just someone that needs to get off the streets and just become a better person or be more confident, stop getting bullying? Like, what's your, I guess, mentality or mantra as far as, like, what the cartel can do for someone? I mean, I, don't, I honestly don't think we, I put too much thought into like, I want to, you know, bring in people and change their lives or anything like that. It's more of like, can I make you better at fighting and then navigate that journey along the way to make the best financial decisions or like the best decisions for your career? Mm-hmm. I think as a result of that, like taking that approach, we're ending up with some really good kids, you know, like, like I've been with Rob since he was, you know, like he started he was delivering pizzas in Florida and then came up and, you know, now, you know, they have a nice house, they have cars, they just had a baby. And it's like just navigating them through the whole career and being just a piece of that pie that mm-hmm. changed them from like a person with a dream to now headlining UFC cards and having enough money to buy a nice place and have some money in the bank and stuff like that. It's like you feel proud of that. When, yeah. And then when you look at them and, you know, Rob's out here with his, his girl and, and their baby and like seeing them like become adults because i'm like eight years older than you know seven eight years older than those guys so like seeing them like go through some of the stuff that i went through like you know just first having a kid and you know um buying your first house and you know having a reliable car for the first time like you take that for granted and you know once you have a nice car for a long time but before that it's like god man i hope this one starts and then you know just being like a functional member of society like because of 
the, the all the moves that we've made together, it's like you, you're proud, you know. But yeah. I, I'm not gonna pretend that I had some like vision of like, oh, I'm gonna change these kids' lives or anything like that. It's more of like. Well, you kind of didn't answer my question though, yeah. because you did a lot for them. Not just you spoke about what you did for them outside or helped them accomplish it, because obviously they're the ones that went in there and did it. Uh, a car, a house, a, a career, you know. So that's pretty cool in itself, right there. Yeah, I mean, you know? there's a lot of. People it may not that, have been the goal, yeah. but that's what came yeah. out of it. I mean, those are some outstanding fellas over there in the, in the next room. And I think that's the thing I'm most proud of is like when I meet other coaches or people at different shows and they always speak, like they say that about our fighters. Yeah. That, like I'm more proud of that than the wins and the losses. Like saying like, you no, know, these guys are like good upstanding people and they're good role mm. models. Cause there are like, you know, we all get a lot of messages from like, you know, either like a mom of a young kid who wants to be a fighter or like young fighters that are aspiring to like be big fighters. And you get those messages and like, I really look up to your team and what you guys are doing. Yeah. Rob's my hero. Calvin's my hero. Like that stuff. Or like, People saying like I hope someday that I can train with you guys and like hearing those things that's like it's rewarding because you know you're putting out like the right like um, the right vibe and like people are seeing like what you're doing and they're they're believing in it and um, you're putting out good people you know these guys we're not getting in trouble they're not getting in street fights or anything like that and um, I feel like they're good role models like for my young kids you know I have two boys and a little girl my boys I I want them to call Rob and Calvin uncle and some of these other guys on the team like. Cause I want them to be grow, good role models for them, and, and they are. So I am proud of that, though. Would you allow them to be subs for title fights? We've talked about this, and it would really just depend on the pay. You know, like you're not going to go because think about that. If you're going to fight for a title, it's obviously an honor to fight for a title. So it's like hard to say no to that. But at the same time, like if you're getting asked to be a sub to be a fight for a title then you know you're probably close anyway, so maybe patience is a virtue or you get one more win or whatever. So it's like there's that gamble of like, well, if right. I don't do this, I might not get it. But then there's the gamble of like, how hard is it? Like, let's say it's a, let's say you were the backup for the O'Malley and the, the uh, Aljo fight. Mm -hmm. How do you prepare? You got to prepare for two guys now. So now you're preparing for like a six-foot-tall striker and then also like an amazing grappler. So what do you do? Mm -hmm. Like patchy mix and then someone else like, what do you, you know, how do you get ready for two guys? So you're basically doing two kind of like two camps. You're preparing for right. both what if scenarios and obviously the, you know, the stress of being the backup and having to cut weight and do all that. And I hear what, you know, I, I think it would just depend on what you're getting paid because I think I've heard some people that have gone and been backups and they get like basically like not much. And then other people that get their full show or something like that. So I think it would just depend on the situation. What do you think is fair? I, I think if you're going to go through a whole camp and you're going to, because uh, obviously your show and win for a non-title fight is different than your contracted show for a title fight. So I think if you go through a whole camp to fight two different guys and it makes sense, right? And you're going to go do it. I think you should at least just get your contracted show. Mm -hmm. And then if you fight, then you get your championship show. But if you're going to weigh in as the backup and you make weight, you put together the resources of a whole camp. I mean, just like. I think you should get your show times too. Which, yeah. which is basically your show and win, because usually everyone's 50-50 on those. Yeah, I mean, I think it has, yeah. Because you're right, you prepared for two guys. That's the wear and tear of, of a camp on your body. You know what I mean? Unless there's some sort of a solid um, promise, I guess, that you're next. Like with the, what they did to Colby. Dana right. keeps saying, why is it Covington versus Edwards? And he goes, because Colby Covington was the, was the sub in London, so he's next. Yeah. Now, Pavlovich was the sub for... Gone versus Jones. He's not next. So it right. doesn't always guarantee mm -hmm. it. So I think you just got to get it, I guess, I don't know, in writing or some sort of assurances. But I, I just hope that it's worth these fighters' times, you know. And I'm wondering where most 
coaches feel about this? It's tough because you're balancing like the whole reason you do this with certain guys. Like with Robin Calvin, the whole goal is to win a title. You know, that's when right. we first set off. We broke off in seventeen. We we're like, all right, we're gonna chase two two belts. That was the whole like mission statement. And if you get that call, it's hard to say no. But it also, you want to make sure that it, it makes sense, and you're you know you're considering the pros and cons of every opportunity, and you got to kind of go with your gut on some of those things. So, um, you know, I, I guess we'd have to see how that works. Because there have been times where we're like, hey, are we the backup for this? And it was like, no, we're not going to use a backup because there's other title fights. So, like, it's definitely something we're interested in doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it would just have to make sense, you know, and it's like. Are you in the doghouse if we decline that to be the backup? I don't think so. I don't think so because okay. I think there's three other guys sitting right behind you that would gladly do it and leapfrog you. So yeah. I don't think you're, like, posing them. They worked for Royville now that I think about it. I think he was a backup over the summer. So Yeah, so I, right. yeah, I, I think it just makes, it just depends. Okay, uh, last one from me. All of our in-studios, we ask them if they can share a good street fight story. Dude, I've never been in a street fight. Except you look like you could you could have collected for Whitey Bulger. Look how big <laughs> you are. You're going to tell me you had no fights? No, so my brother was going to get in a fight. So we went to some park, which coincidentally ended up being like right by my wife's house that she grew up in. Okay. So we go to some park after wrestling practice. He gets in a fight with some kid. Oh, this was planned. We'll yeah, they were park. like, we're going to fight at the park. Like, gotcha. And we fought, like, I don't know, they met like nine. So it was so you it was and your brother, and then how many were on the other so, side? No, it was like me and the other three wrestling captains. I was the senior. I was the captain. And the other three wrestling captains and like a JV kid in our car. And we drove in a van. And then my brother went with this kid, Tony. They got out of their car. So we walked up. And the other three captains wouldn't even get out of the car. They were like, I'm not being part of this. So mm-hmm. I was like, well, this is my little brother. I got to go protect him. But your numbers were about six or seven altogether, right? No, there was three of us. And then, so they had like probably four or five guys there, and then they started fighting. It was a fair fight, and then my my brother took him down, started beat him up, and then next thing you know, these people just happened to be there partying, came out of the woods, and they started throwing like beer, like beer cans at my brother. So I pulled my brother off, and then they started coming at us. So we like ran down the road, and um, how many how many of them were there? I would say maybe like ten. Oh wow! I, okay. I don't know. They were just coming out of the woods. So I don't know how many people were in the woods. Mm-hmm. So we start running down the road, and my brother. I've never seen anybody jump over a car and get in a car and drive off faster because those two kids, I was like making sure they got in and I looked back to like see Like the Duke they, brothers in, yeah, in it was uh, like, Hazard? Yeah, it was like a, a stunt man. I look back and I see these guys come. I look back and the car's gone. I'm like, oh no. So I was like, what do I do? So I tried to run between two houses and there was a fence. Your brother left you? He didn't know I was getting in his car because oh. I didn't go there with him. He thought I was going to get in the other car. Yeah. So I run between the fence like, oh no. So then I had to like run back and I see like three guys come. I just see a fist. I went like this, I got, and the next thing I like, so I got pushed from behind, I'm on the ground, I see boots coming, so I cover it up, and then at that time, the, the van was kind of parked by where I was, the one I came in, mm-hmm. so they had the other three wrestling pra- captains, which were like the 171, the 189, and the 215, mm-hmm. I was the 145, mm-hmm. so I'm the little guy, and then my backup, this kid, uh, we called him Pip, because he got pinned by a girl, so pinned instantly <laughs> by, you know, so, but he, they're like, oh, Tyson's getting his ass beat, and so uh, they're like, well, I'm not doing anything. So my backup, the one kid, this kid, Dave Provencio, I'll never forget, he gets out of the car, runs down. And he's like, what are you guys doing? And then I remember I looked at him, like, corner of my, they knock him out with one punch. He falls they down. They knocked out he, Dave? They knocked out Dave, one oh, punch. So. And he stretched out just like a bad knockout in MMA. And so all of a sudden I see him start to kick him. So I roll over, I crawl over to him, and I covered him up, grabbed his head, and I'm just like bracing because they're all just kicking us all now. And next thing you know, I see a tire right here. And this car pulled up onto the lawn. It was the girlfriends of the guys that were beating us up. And uh, they got out there, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then we got into their car of the girlfriends of the guys that were beating us up. And then they drove us home. And then that was it. And then the next Monday at school, it was like everybody's talking about it. And the kid comes up to me, gets in my face. This is a week before wrestling states. 
So if you get in a fight in our school, it was like a zero tolerance policy. Even if someone hits you, mm -hmm. you're suspended. Mm -hmm. You know, so I would. And if you get suspended, you don't do the next sporting event. So we have states coming up, and I'm like, well, I can't. That's why those guys didn't want to get out of the car. Uh, no, I, I think they, they want to get out pussies? of the car. I think they were just being they pussies. Just didn't want to get in the car. Okay. Yeah, like needless to say, those guys are not my friends anymore. And so a kid comes up to me Monday at school, and he's like, "Yo, what's this? You're telling people I hit you?" I go, "Mike, you know you hit me." And he's like, oh, and he got in my face. I was like, you know I can't fight. I was like, I, I'm about to get suspended. And he's like, whatever, man. And then, like, he walked away. And then everybody's like, oh, you bitched out. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I can't, I can't fight. I got to go to States. And so I was just, uh, overall, it was a frustrating experience. But then it's funny because fast forward probably five years, mm -hmm. <clears throat> I'm at Old Navy with my girlfriend at the time. And Mike's there with his girlfriend. And they were both in the dressing room. So me and him were both sitting there. And he just walked up and he's like, how you doing? Everything going good? And we kind of, like, shook hands. It was like almost that weird way of like him saying sorry mm -hmm. we're good you know mm -hmm. and then and then our kids end up going to the same daycare and i used to see him all the time and it was like funny but um <laughs> yeah that's my only that's my only street fight story no that's Ooh. cool like you know everyone always feels like they have to present something where yeah. like they were the man and they knocked out 10 dudes and no, no. sometimes I, it just doesn't work out that way phil veroni once told us he got beat up by the i think michigan no, state cheerleaders right yeah. male cheerleaders they're pretty athletic. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, man, I thought I could take, you know, and so he actually put himself out there. I got waxed by some cheerleaders. They got the best of me. I think most of the time there's fights, though, it's like alcohol's involved. And mm. I've, I've never had a sip of alcohol in my life. So I'm <laughs> always the guy. I'm a designated driver, and I'm always the guy that, like, kind of sees it happening. You know, if you're sober at a party yeah. and you see something brewing, mm -hmm. you can kind of avoid it. So I've always been that guy. I just get my friends out of there. I was like, I guess I'll stop and then be, try to be the voice of reason. So If I, Calvin and Rob were in that car and saw you getting kicked out, what, what would they have done? I mean, I know they would have gotten out and they would have fought for me. Mm -hmm. But I want to say is like they would have let me get hit a couple of times just to like <laughs> mess with me and then say they saved me. But uh, no, I, I don't. I don't think. Uh, I don't think they'd hesitate. I think they would get right out. Yeah, coach. It's always great to catch up with you. Thanks, Thanks for guys. the time, and we wish you and the team continued success in and out of the cage. There's a lot going on. You know, you got to manage. You manage the fighters. I know Calvin's got the or the other organization that he's the owner of as well. On that zone. Yeah, so you guys got a lot going on. We wish you the best every, everywhere. Thanks, guys. All right. The coach, always keeping it real, loves his guys. Uh, he's a big brother, a mentor, a pad holder, a game plan advisor. The guy does it all, man, and he, and he couldn't be nicer. Yeah, that dude... Um... His conversation is fun because I think he thinks outside the box. Like even after the show wrapped, uh, I've had he has very similar opinions about judging that we do, and things that he thinks he could fix. I'd I'd really like to get him on just for a show just to talk about that. But mm -hmm. I do like the way he just has this different style. Him and Eric Nixick. It's funny that they're they've actually become friends because they're very similar. They have this different way of looking at things where they don't look at themselves up top as we are these badass coaches. They're more like interested in learning from other people than they are really telling other everybody else how they should do stuff. But he's always been a nice guy. Zero ego, both of those guys. Yeah. Eric now is in Dubai with Francis Ngannou. So they've already moved up their camp. They're in the Middle East and they're prepping for the Tyson Fury boxing match. Uh, by the way, he told me on the side that, because I told him I got to see Messi, you know, down here in South America. And he goes, all right. He goes, wish me luck. I could, I think we were supposed to see Ronaldo this weekend. Oh, cool. So pretty cool, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. 
thank you to Tyson Chartier and the whole crew that came out, had a chance to talk to all of them, uh, all those interviews on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash MMA junkie video. That's where you can catch spinning back click, by the way, every Monday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. We're back to our normal start time. We discuss five of the hottest topics from the past week, sometimes a few additionals. Take some comments and questions from the chat. It's always a fun time. Check it out. And if you see it, like it, share it. it I, I'm going to say that to my face is blue. The like, the subscribe, it just helps trigger this algorithm that puts us in, more front, uh, in front of more eyeballs and it helps the show grow. So that helps uh, a lot. And then the subscriber base, you obviously want to keep growing that. And I just know that I get sick of hearing others say it. But, you know, it, it nudges me and I hit like and now I subscribe to a few YouTube channels because of it but it's true i mean the content is free you can't beat that right goes yeah i mean it's such a small thing to ask for people uh for something that's so big even like you said you get tired of hearing it i've actually i used to be like that i've actually been doing it more and more when i like something on youtube and it actually helps yourself out because if you truly do like it then when you pull up your page you're gonna have more videos like that instead of having to go search for them they're gonna come to you so it's win-win for everyone. Yeah, it definitely does recognize. Hey, one last thing here, and then we'll get out of here. Did you see the card Bare Knuckle put together for December 2nd in Salt Lake City? Yes, and I'm pretty sure I will be going to it. So, Oh, um, wow. Yeah, I want to make that trip out there. That is nuts. It's You know, I mean, it's funny is I actually had been kind of uh, maybe two weeks ago made plans with Laura to just go to Salt Lake City. We have an aunt that lives there that's always asking, you know, for people to come visit. And I was like, man, it's a no-brainer. I don't know why I haven't done this before, just a weekend. And as soon as I saw that come up, I was like, this is going to be the perfect time. So I think I want to come out there for that. Yeah, no doubt. I don't blame you. Um, I, I First thing I thought of, too, I saw Salt Lake City. I go, oh, you know, the aunt, the same aunt that's down here with me in Peru, obviously, mm -hmm. but she has invited that way uh i've always thought maybe around a usc utah game or sometimes modern day goes up there and plays one of the utah schools um but i just haven't been able to make it happen but this one looked pretty damn good it's got eddie alvarez and mike perry in case any of you are curious uh and todd duffy versus ben rothwell so that's pretty money uh if you ask me cody garbrandt by the way has been booked against brian kelleher and who did I see? Josh Emmett's got an opponent, too. Giga. Giga Chikazi. That's right. Yeah. So there's some fight bookings for you. And don't forget, folks, before we leave, just another reminder. We got uh, the UFC 294 Watch Along this Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific. That's when the main card starts. Can't emphasize that enough. Prelims go earlier, but we're only focusing on the main card. Yes, goes and I probably will be there a little earlier, just as we might want to make sure that everything's up and working. And once we're in, pretty much the stream is live, so we'll probably stay at that point. So you'll see us a little early, but that's what we're promoting, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. Anyway, folks, I can't tell you uh, how much we appreciate the support. And stay on MMA Junkie. We got Mike Bond and Fada Hanoon out there in Abu Dhabi bringing you great stuff great content from fight week 
So we'll see you all on Saturday. Thank you as always. Go out and be a champion. Talk soon. <laughs>